You are now listening to Chakras and Shotguns. Welcome back to Chakras and Shotguns. This is episode 46. I'm Mick. And I'm Jen. Welcome back. How are you? What's going on? I'm good. I'm I'm in a good place right now. Things are going really well with my business around Reiki and healing mm-hmm. and coaching. It's called mm-hmm. the Inner Victory for those that don't know. Uh, yeah, I did a, a photo shoot a little while ago. Got some pictures back. Pose. Yeah, Pose. it looked dope. Pose. Had some really good sessions over the weekend. Yeah. And I've talked before about how in human design, I am a profile three five. Mm-hmm. And that line three is all about kind of being this mad scientist, right? Tinkering mm-hmm. with things, trying things out, seeing what works, what doesn't work. And I feel like I've brought that energy into Reiki and I've been trying some different things out, finding some really cool things that have been working well for the folks I've been treating. Mm. I have one one guy who I've treated a few different times and we were laughing because I feel like I think he's had like four sessions with me and they've all been different mm-hmm. because I'm just like trying out different tools and like different ways of applying the treatment and going about the I guess, sequencing of the treatment a little bit differently mm-hmm. just trying to figure out what works best so yeah I'm finding my groove and really enjoying it that's interesting that you said that and this kind of came up at the tail end of the numerology episode was that you know these are tools but it's it's been interesting as we incorporate all of these like different things like you might be looking at it from one lens and then you throw human design on it because you were doing a lot of trial and error and I didn't even think about your profile being a three five and then it's like oh well of course he's doing that you know and just kind of Getting a more holistic view of yourself is very interessante. Yeah. So, guys, uh, if you're interested in a Reiki treatment session or if you want to train in how to perform Reiki, check out my site, theinnervictory.com. Very nice. Let's see. What else? Oh, I sold my flip house. Yes. So that was very exciting. Big celebration in the household. Yes. Hopefully it's one of many. This is very exciting for me. Creative project. It will be one of many, I'm sure. Excuse me. Which is also an interesting conversation in and of itself. Because I think like women, women from the South, were told to have like a certain amount of humility. And like, it's like polite to like not be in your bag. Mm, mm-hmm. A little bit, but it will be one of many. Mm-hmm. It has to be. Like, this is what I want to do now. So, <laughs> yeah. On to the next one. On to the... Ugh, Swiss Beats. Sorry. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> My wife has a very irrational hatred of Swiss Beats. I don't hate anyone. I'm of love and light. <laughs> but it, every time I hear Showtime, I just... Ugh, it just... It grates on my nerves. It grates on my nerves. (laughs) I need to find that video where he was doing like a DJ contest or whatever. And he was he was doing something. Busta Rhymes was there. This was fairly recent. Yeah. 
And he was doing some weird stuff. And the song sounded awful. And Buster Rhymes was trying to, like, rock to the beat <laughs> with it. But he was just like, this is awful. I don't know why. He's like, showtime. I don't. Ugh, it just, it irks my nerves. Hey, I, you know, I have my own idiosyncrasies when it comes to different personalities, celebrities, musical acts. So, you know. His beats are chaotic. <laughs> They're absolute chaos. So I, I am a big fan of the Rough Riders Anthem Days and Swizz was a big part of that. So I don't have that same energy towards him. But anyway, <laughs> do you want to do a little breath work? <laughs> you know what? That's a good segue to the breath work, actually, because we're in spring. We're firmly in spring now. We're very close to summer. Like summer is around the corner. Like what is a season? Because it's almost gone. <laughs> Summer solstice is maybe a little bit over a month. Yeah, June 21st is a little bit over a month from now. And so spring is almost done, which I can't even believe. But I feel like winter, even though we were busy, well, Mick and I don't really like the cold, so we don't go outside when it's cold. <laughs> we don't take the girls outside. We're not bundling them up. So it was more rest and we were eating breads, making bread, eating soups, getting all fat and sassy. And spring started this like quickening of energy. You're trying to clean stuff out. Summer, you know, you're trying to be out and about, trying to get summertime fine. Although I did see a tweet that said, if you just started deciding whether or not you're going to work on your summer body, you should have been doing that three months ago. (laughs) So there's that. But that's neither here nor there. I feel like, you know, as it warms up and people are trying to get out more, you start feeling this desire, pull, obligation to get out and do a lot more things. And maybe you're not taking care of yourself because you're not really in a time where you might be more gentle and soothing to yourself, right? It's nice to take a warm bubble bath and having like a big mug of tea when it's 20 degrees outside, but you're on the move. You got to go. You got to do stuff. And so I wanted this breath work to just be like a little moment of respite, self-care for our ears and our bodies. So let's get into it. As always, we're going to start with three cleansing breaths. Let's inhale in through your nose, expanding your belly, and exhale, sighing that breath out of your mouth. Let's do that one more time. Inhale in through your nose, sitting up a little straighter. If you're laying down, maybe relaxing a little bit further as you exhale out through your mouth. Last breath. Inhale in through your nose, Noticing where you're tense, are your hands clenched, is your jaw tight, are your shoulders up by your ears? And as we exhale this last breath out through the nose, releasing any of that lingering tension. Now that we're aware of our breath, I want us to visualize a white light directly above the crown of our head. 
we think about this white light, we want to think about it as being purifying, healing, nurturing white light. And that ball of white light, we're going to expand and expand and let that white light come down until it's completely surrounding your entire body. If you were to look at your arm or your legs, you would see that you're glowing with this white light. Maybe envision yourself being held by this white light, that it's warm and it's comforting, that it's energizing. Whatever it is that you need in this moment, as you find yourself pulled in different directions, trying to get to different events, show up for people and show up for yourself or tackle this project that this light is revitalizing and it's going to help you keep showing up as the beautiful person that you are Show gratitude for this energy, this body that you have, that your mind can nimbly move from one thing to the next. When you're ready, open your eyes. Let's get on with the show. Thanks, Jane. Definitely much needed in this season. So I appreciate that. Let's get into our main topic now. Yes, let's do it. I think we hinted that this was one of the things that we were interested in when we talked about our spiritual journey in episode numero uno. Way back when. Way back when. And that is tarot cards. Today, we are finally getting into it. Yes. I think if you've never really had like a reading, you probably, you know, have references from TV and movies. People get the death card or the devil card from some lady with like a crystal ball in a smoky room and bam, like some crazy stuff starts happening. So we're going to talk about the real deal with tarot, the history and some tips on how to read them for yourself. But first, Jen, why don't you tell the folks how you really got into tarot? Yeah, because I guess tarot's my thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I actually got first. I first got into tarot. It was actually in a weird way. One of my former coworkers, and this is a very traditional corporate setting. Okay, like corporate department. It was Thanksgiving week, which is pretty dead sometimes in in corporate America because people are taking off and going out of town or whatever. So there wasn't really anybody around. We were just kind of holding down the fort in case something popped up. And this guy has some tarot cards and you would never, he never indicated that he was into like anything spiritual. Like one time he brought Palo Santo, but to work, but I think 
it was kind of a joke because the department was a hot mess and we needed some cleansing, honestly. Yeah, I thought he was joking. He was trying to get that energy about it. <laughs> exactly. Like in hindsight, I was like, oh, interesting. So, yeah, so he had the tarot cards and he was like, come on, we're going to read tarot. And I was like, OK. So it was like me and another co-worker. And he read tarot for us and it was pretty accurate. And so I was like, this is interesting. And I think it like first piqued my interest as to what tarot is and and what is it really and and where does it come from? Because I think at that time, I probably thought that you had to be a psychic to read tarot. And this is like a regular schmegla dude that I work with that's reading these tarot cards. And I was like, how did you even learn this? He was like, oh, it's a part. He was, he was very dismissive, not to me, but very dismissive about like his skill to read tarot. He was just like, it's a party trick. You can watch a video on YouTube. And I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> and so fast forward, maybe like a month later. So now we're in December. He announced that he was leaving the company and it's around Christmas time. And that other coworker who was there with us when he was reading the tarot cards, she bought me a deck for Christmas. And her note was, we need somebody to read tarot. Now, mind you, this probably would not have been as weird if he had been reading tarot for the three years that I had been there. <laughs> he read tarot once. And then she was just like, okay, now, Jen, you're going to read tarot. And I was like, what? So she bought me a deck. She's not a person who I would think would be into any of that. At all. At all. So I was like, um, okay. So now I got this deck. And now this was pre-COVID, pre-spiritual journey. And so I did have this like feeling that I was doing something kind of taboo. Cause you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to circle the square between like traditional Christian gen and now I got these tarot cards. And so I bring them home. Yeah. And so do y'all remember at the very beginning of the Kanye song, Ultralight Beam, where that little girl is like, we don't want no <laughs> devils in this house. We want the Lord. And that's it. That was my reaction. I was like, what is you bringing up in here? My little Methodist raised self was not ready to explore the world of tarot. So I was very much like, what? I feel like you were that gif of that dude with the uh, solo cup. It's like, mm, and walks out. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know what you're doing now. But so how do you feel about tarot now? I think reflecting on the story, I mean, like, it was meant to be. Like, you have a real gift with tarot. And so, Aww. like, you being exposed to it and it coming into your life in such a strange way. I mean, nothing's really strange, right? Right. It's all how it's supposed to be. But, yeah, I thought it was... uh interesting to watch you learn the deck and begin to develop your skill and now i'm like super proud of my wife's like oh tell, tell jen to give you a reading real quick oh my gosh <laughs> he loves to volunteer me for a reading <laughs> going back over the timeline november tarot reading with my co-worker december i get my own deck december january we're in ghana for the year of the return year of the return and somehow we were having like a conversation with the people that we were, you know, that we were there with. These are like old friends, new friends, family. Mm -hmm. And we were having a conversation and I was talking to one of my friends who is a preacher's kid. And he was kind of talking about his spiritual journey where he is now with it. And it was actually, you know, it was kind of interesting. And I was kind of like, 
okay, I'm going to tell them about tarot and I hope they don't think I'm weird. And I was somewhat into crystals a little bit, not to the extent I am now, but a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of coming into this energy, pun intended, where I feel like everything is energy. And I don't believe that tarot is evil. I believe that it's a tool and that there's energy in that. And it's something that I'm kind of exploring. And then I was kind of like, okay, don't judge me. In my head, I was like, okay, I said it. And my sister-in-law was like, yeah, I got a psychic. And I was like, what? (laughs) It was just interesting how we were like creating this safe space for each other to share. Mm -hmm. That psychic was was Melanie Esperon, who we love and adore. And yeah, from there, the rest is history. But it's just very interesting to me, like how exactly that lined up like month by month. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward and here we are almost a year into the podcast. Yeah. So that's our or Jen's journey in tarot. Again, it's kind of more her thing. Like, I'm, you know, I know a little bit about it, but I'm more so on the sidelines and let her kind of handle our tarot readings. So that's that. Let's talk a little bit about the history of tarot. So tarot actually started out as an Italian card game known as Taroki. Taroki. And it popped up in the 1400s in Europe. The root of the word Taroki means foolishness. So this was, you know, they play in Uno, basically, around Italy. <laughs> it's in Portugal, it's in Spain, France, and Germany. And so it's happening, you know, they they doing the thing at the party, playing Uno, Go Fish, whatever you want to call it, for about 200 years before we see the first evidence of tarot being used as a divination tool. In 1789, the first tarot deck for supernatural slash mystical slash occult purposes was developed by a French occultist named Atea. He believed that the tarot's true origin was not Uno, was not this card game, but was actually from the Book of Thoth, Mm. T-H-O-T-H, Thoth, which is a collection of ancient Egyptian texts believed to be written by Thoth, the Egyptian god of writing and knowledge. Of course, this hasn't been substantiated because, I mean... Like, basically, we would have had to have, like, on video Thoth being like, here my book. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's kind of hard to substantiate that it came from an Egyptian god. Yeah. In the 3D check your sources type sense. Yeah. But I like believing that, once again, something esoteric came out of where? Africa. Yes. So the book of Thoth itself is really interesting. Thoth is believed to have written over 36,000 books. And there were 42 of these thought to have held the entire philosophy of the Egyptians. Now, some say that those 42 books were written by Hermes, and some say Hermes and Thoth were one and the same. This is interesting because back in college, I took this class. It was one of those easy A classes. And everybody called it Mummies for Dummies. It was... (laughs) I love those names, like rocks for jocks for geology. So Mummies for Dummies basically was the history of ancient Egypt. And I don't remember a whole ton. That's disrespectful. I know. I know, right? That's what they called it back then. So anyway, I don't remember a ton from the class, but I do remember later in the history of Egypt, you have Alexander the Great. He comes in, founds Alexandria. He kind of takes over Egypt. 
he puts in these Greek, I say with quotation marks, pharaohs, because they weren't really pharaohs. They were just basically Greeks that they put in as the ruler, gave them the title pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, they basically brought with them the Greek mythology and religion with them. And so what you see happening is similar to what we see in, in the history of Christianity, where you know, Christianity comes in and they kind of blend in. We talked about this with Easter, how they blend in like holidays so that like the festivals can kind of can kind of align. And so what we saw there in, with the Greeks coming into Egypt is they brought their gods in. And a lot of times they would make like equivalencies. So Thoth and Hermes were like, this is the same deity. Like, so mm. you guys should worship Hermes because he's your, you know, the same as Thoth, like, right? Like that, that was kind of how they. And so then you see this rewriting of history where it's like no that didn't write that it was hermes but really like the greeks came in later and mixed in their gods then kind of makes me think of y'all know my tiktok algorithm is real weird okay so <laughs> that makes me think of like videos i don't know if it was particularly one or the other but there are biblical scholars who acknowledge that the way that christians necessarily view God being like monotheistic or three in one might not be like completely the whole story. Mm -hmm. And, and and these are like for real deal biblical scholars Yeah, that there might be one higher God. And then underneath that, there were several others that higher God even had a wife. And it's something that like, we don't talk about. It's not mm -hmm. in the Bible. Sweep that under the rug real quick. Yeah, and that wife, Asherah, you can look her up, Asherah, they kind of, like, moved her to the side, and she was, like, the, like, I don't know if she was considered a goddess. I know she was the consort, but basically, she, her dominion was creation, and so whenever we're talking about Mother Nature, that's really supposed to be Asherah. And so there is a school of thought that this higher God had many, 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 many children. And he gave each of, well, I don't know if you say he, I don't even know if you say he, that might be kind of limiting, you mm -hmm. know, how we feel about that. This higher God gave each of the children their own territory, so mm -hmm. to speak, in the world. And that's how we see these different religions that are you know, geographical, mm -hmm. really, right? Like Hindu has its mm -hmm. kind of region and the Middle East has its gods and whatnot. So it's very interesting, this whole conversation about Hermes and Thoth and and how we think through things and do we go with the Greek or the Roman or the Egyptian or Mick and I were actually having a conversation about if you're supposed to follow the spirituality and the deities from your homeland. And then if you're an African descendant of slaves, where is that? Mm. Also, you know, African descendant of slaves who have ever run their Ancestry.com report, where is that? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. rocking with the Celtics? Yeah. Because you might have a sprinkle. Yeah, yeah. You going down, you going to do Ifa now? Are you like with the yeah. Orishas in yeah. Africa? Are you hanging out? You know, everybody say they're a little bit Indian or indigenous. Yeah. You going to the indigenous, the Native American deities? Yeah. Like, yeah. where are you supposed to connect? Yeah. I think it's also a very interesting conversation. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a bit more about divination, right? 
That's what tarot is predominantly used for today. The straight up definition of divination is the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means. Now, supernatural means sounds like it's something from Marvel, superpowers, whatever. But remember, we all have psychic abilities. We talked about that before when we covered the clairs. We just have to tap into them. So really, divination is about using your intuition to tap into the wisdom of your spirit guides or your higher self. We haven't done a lot of talking about spirit guides or your highest self. So let's get into it. We talked, we might have teased it a little bit in the Melanie episode or maybe here and there with like the Claire's, but your spirit guides, those can include your ancestors, guardian angels, those are real, deities, and others. I think deities sometimes can be hard for people who were brought up in a traditional monotheistic religion. And monotheistic, I said that before, but meaning like one God. For Christianity, it's, you know, the three in one, the Holy Trinity. And expanding your mind to think that a goddess could be your spirit guide or another deity or that like guardian angels are really real because I think like we think of guardian angels as very biblical but I don't think a lot of I'll say growing up black people weren't really talking about guardian angels like that like nobody was talking about like archangel michael like that yes and no I think if you grew up I know some folks who grew up in like the catholic tradition Mm -hmm. and there's there's a lot of mention of angels there we would reference angels in our Methodist church, but they were never mentioned by name. So like I remember, for example, in the story of when the Israelites were in Egypt and Moses instructed them to put blood from a lamb on the door Mm -hmm. and that the angel of the Lord would come through that night and take the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Remember Mm -hmm. this? So that was actually Archangel Uriel, but it was just mentioned as the angel of the Lord, I think, but in other kind of parts of the Bible that aren't necessarily in the canon that we typically read, mm-hmm. they mention them by name. So I guess what I'm saying is if you were raised Catholic, it probably is a lot easier for you to expand that you have access to yeah. ancestors and guardian angels because, you know, the saints, the saints, Virgin Mary, like that's very normal yeah. in that branch of Christianity. For sure. To your second point, when I think we're saying the same thing, is that it's something that you read about in the Bible. It wasn't mm. like, oh, no, my homie Michael was like talking to me and he's watching out for me. Like that yeah. wasn't really something that like black people talked about. For sure. I think we kind of thought about angels as like that's something that happened then. And now they're just like the choir. Like they like guys backup singers. Like that's how it always kind of <laughs> felt to me. Got it. It's like they up there and being like, hallelujah, Shabbat. Yeah. Like that's it. Yeah. But they're <laughs> they're powerful beings. Yeah. And if you question that, it's kind of like you can't have it both ways. Like they were very powerful beings in the text, like in yeah. the Bible. And so then like what? It stopped when we got iPads? Like that's not <laughs> how that works. So yeah. <laughs> there's that. I hope I'm not being... Archangel Michael, don't be mad at me. I hope I'm not being flippant, but I'm just trying to like... No, I hear you. I think there is a a book that I've been reading that is super long and I have not gotten halfway through it yet, but it talks about these things and how like during the writing and the 
time frame of the Bible, there was a lot of supernatural things. And it was very common to the people who were alive at that time mm-hmm. to experience these things. And we have gotten away from that. And we don't read the Bible in the same way. So it's called The Unseen Realm, I think is the name of the mm-hmm. book. I'll link it in the show notes if anyone's interested. We've, t- we've talked about this before. And I think there's something about, and maybe this is how I interacted with biblical teaching, but there is something about it that's like, this person was special. You're not special, girl, because you're not in the Bible. So (laughs) Mary was special. The angel came through. He told her that she was going to have a baby. Like, she's special. And so nobody ever really made it seem like we had access like that. Yeah. Like, there's no more special people because the Bible is done. Right. Yeah. And like the like the angel ain't gonna come talk to me. I yeah. gotta read about the angel talking to old girl two thousand years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, anyways, I think we talked about that in the in the Claire episode about yeah, just sure. like receiving messages from the divine. Moving on to your higher self. So your higher self. Think of this as like your best self. Like this is the part of yourself that knows exactly how your life is going to unfold, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. They have your best interest at heart because it's you. And like they have all of the wisdom from all of the mistakes that you're probably already going to make. And they know exactly how it's going to unfold. Mm -hmm. So if you're consulting with your higher self, they're going to be like, girl, don't take that job. Yeah, we talked about this on one segment where we talked about Dave, the show Dave, Mm -hmm. and how he goes and sees his higher self when he goes on that. I guess it was like a retreat or he just went over to Rick Rubin's house and went into that like sensory deprivation pool mm-hmm. i want to try that yeah but i'd have to plan my whole day around and watch my, <laughs> wash my hair who gonna watch my kids who gonna watch my kids <laughs> through my wash day that one that that episode was really interesting because he was having writer's block and his higher self was like i got all the raps for you and they're fire yeah yeah <laughs> so it's just like you just got to get over it or it's sometimes i'll see on twitter what would you tell your 20 year old self yeah which is like, there's so many things that I would tell her. Yeah. There were so many things. So think about, like, the little wisdom that you have now in this moment that you could tell your teenage self or your 20-year-old self. Mm. And, like, multiply that by, like, a thousand, I guess. What if that's what the higher self is? It's just you at the end of your life coming back and telling you, like, stuff. Because time isn't linear, right? Look, we have to have a whole conversation about time <laughs> before we can. T- I we, I thought we were bringing people in slowly. <laughs> Sorry, it just kind of hit me like a light bulb. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> and now we're here. One thing I did want to say about divination: if there are listeners out there that are still like on the fence about, like, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this. Divination is everywhere. Okay, everywhere, everywhere. I was watching TikTok and and this woman is on the like, she's like talking about angel numbers and like kind of some some witchy things like, you know, the first time you sweep your new house, sweep something in for good luck, stuff like that. But she talked about bibliomancy Mm. where you just open up the Bible somewhere random, you point and that's the message that you need today from the divine, from God, from source. My mother has done this. All of my life. And if I told her that she was doing divination, she would be like, no. No. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. I don't know what that is. But yeah. this is that was like something very common in my household. Yeah. And something she told me to do. Mm. Like, if you're ever feeling lost, 
If you ever need an answer to a question, just open the Bible and God will have a message for you. Mm. That's divination. I think there are sometimes there's things that we do that we have not defined that are normal, that we've decided are not other mm-hmm. or not evil or secular of the world. But we're doing the exact same stuff, just using different tools. Mm. I just think about when I was like 11, 12, sitting in church, bored. I would just grab the Bible from the back of the pew, you know, mm-hmm. and I would be doing that. So the whole time I was just divining while the pastor was talking. Mm-hmm. So getting back to tarot, I think some people view tarot as a divination tool that they can use to tell the f- the future. There's also a deeper element of tarot that can help you, you know, just get guidance on how to make the best decisions to move forward. Whether that's leaving a relationship behind or having the courage to take a new job, it's giving you what you need for the best outcome. It's it's not like go play these numbers in the lotto so you can win. But if Anybody wants to give me some lotto numbers, I'll take them. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes divination is telling you what you already know, but you needed confirmation. And that can mean like what you're not ready to accept. It can also mean, so sometimes if I feel like I have, like my clear cognizance is like picking up on something, like I just know something. I might use tarot or another divination tool to be like, was I was I reading that right? Like, was I getting that information right? Did I just kind of make that up and seeing like what comes out of that? So that's another aspect of divination and getting readings that people don't really talk about is that you already felt that nudge. You already knew you needed to quit that job. But sometimes you need someone else to verify. Yes. So what is in a standard tarot? deck. There are 78 cards. They are divided into two sections. So you have the major arcana and the minor arcana. 22 cards make up the major arcana, and these represent big life lessons, major events, and themes. If you place them in order, they go from 0 to 21. And 0 is the fool, and 21 is the world. And so as you move from the fool to the world, they tell a symbolic story That is called the fool's journey. Along the way, the fool meets teachers and guides before ultimately reaching enlightenment. The remaining 56 cards make up the minor arcana. These equate to -to day-to-day events. They also bring in detail and context when spread in with a major arcana card. They're split into four suits, cups, pentacles, swords, and wands. So I get this deck. (laughs) And I'm like, student Jen, I'm going to learn. I'm going to buy a book. I'm going to watch a video. And then I realized there were 78 cards. And I was like, wait a minute. How does anybody keep all of this straight? How do they look at these cards and just glean what they mean? So one handy technique that I did learn is that the suits of the minor arcana each represent an element and a particular area of life. So starting with cups. It's the element of water. It's all about love and relationships. Think feelings and emotions. Pentacles, the element of earth, all about the tangible. Health, finances, career. Swords, the element of air. That one's all about thoughts, words, action. Think communication, making decisions. And finally, wands, the element of fire. Energy, motivation, passion. There's also 
something that's also very interesting about tying in the elements to the cards this way, of course, it immediately makes me think of astrology. Mm-hmm. Also thinking about the signs and how they exhibit these same types of characteristics, like water signs, or, you know, love and relationships, you think in flow, emotions, fire signs, all that passionate energy. So it all, again, tools that are interconnected with each other and like the foundations of what makes up earth in this existence yeah so moving on to just talk a little bit about the minor arcana each suit within the minor arcana has 14 cards these are numbered one to ten and then the four court cards and these are the page the knight the queen and the king for cards one through ten you can use numerology which we just talked about a couple episodes ago you can use numerology to help discern the meaning for the cards So let's run through the numbers in the context of tarot. So the number one is all about new beginnings, opportunity, and potential. The number two is all about balance, partnerships, duality. The number three is about creativity, groups, and growth. The number four is all about structure, stability, and manifestation. Five is about change, instability, and conflict. Number six communication, cooperation, harmony. Seven, reflection, assessment, knowledge. Eight, mastery, action, accomplishment. Nine, fruition, attainment, and fulfillment. And 10, which doesn't follow the traditional rules of numerology because that would have collapsed down, but number 10 in the context of tarot is the completion of a cycle, end or renewal. So in, let's go through an example. In practice, let's say you got the nine of pinnacles. Remember, pinnacles can be about career and finances. Together with the numerology of fruition, you may interpret that you're going to reach that career goal that you've been working towards. Or you get the one of cups. That may mean a new love is coming, a new relationship, because one is all about new beginnings and cups is about love and partnership. All right, so after the number cards, as I mentioned, you have the court cards. So again, that's the page, the knight, the queen, and the king. There are a couple of ways to interpret these cards when they pop up for you. They can represent a person, whether that's the personality of the card or some may link it to the sign. For instance, a king of wands may signal to a reader someone that's a fire sign with masculine energy. You can also interpret the court cards for their personality. And those traits may be what you need to tackle, whatever you're facing in life. So pages are the youngest of the court cards and represent newness. They can represent young people or children in your life. It can also represent literal news or messages. Knights represent decision making, no matter how rash. A knight may just rush in on their horse, taking action and asking questions later. This card might signal where you need to stop and think before you act. Or depending on the context where you need to stop overanalyzing and just take action. Queens represent caregiving. So it might be an area where you need extra care and attention or a person who is there to give you that extra care. Kings represent control and authority. That energy may be what you need when you need to take control of a situation. So if you're still listening (laughs) and you're not completely overwhelmed by tarot, 
and you want to start reading tarot for yourself or others, how do you start? Well, for one, get a deck. (laughs) Some believe that you have to be given a deck, but I think there's nothing wrong with acquiring one for yourself. You do want to cleanse and clear your deck of energy, of anyone's energy, anyone who's touched the deck. And this is something that you want to regularly do in case like someone moves your deck or make sure it's not to touch my cards, but you know, something that you need to do regularly. You want to start with a clean slate before you start reading. I will sage my deck occasionally or put a piece of selenite on my deck, on top of my deck overnight. Remember, selenite is self-cleansing. It's like a really good crystal to put around your other crystals and clear them of energy. Sometimes I'll set my deck under a full moon overnight. I actually took my deck with us to Sedona when we were there for a retreat last fall. We went to a vortex, which we should probably talk about at some point. And I charge my deck up there to like, you know, give it superpowers. Mm-hmm. If you're in a rush or if you just need to clear energy very quickly, you can literally just knock on your deck, like knock, knock, with the intention of clearing any lingering energy. Once I feel like my deck is clean, I'll sit and take a few cleansing breaths, clearing my mind. Like I'm trying not to think of like, oh, what else do I have to do today? Because I don't want to, I don't want my divination tool to think that I'm asking it the question. So I just really try and clear my mind. And then I start shuffling the cards. So I'm trying to just let the cards breathe. Like I just really focus on that intention that we're letting them breathe. We're letting them like get ready for me to ask whatever I need to ask. Depending on how much time I have, I'll spread out my cards, ask a question, let a topic bubble up in my mind, then I'll select my cards. And really, when you're starting to do this, and maybe you just do one card when you're just starting, just to get in the practice of of doing that, pay attention to how you feel in your body when you're selecting your cards, because there may be something that is telling you. You might feel like a pull one way or the other, or you feel... You know, in the hand that's selecting, you might feel a little tingling sensation, but like really pay attention to that because I think so many times our gut and our intuition is trying to tell us something and we're just not keyed in on that. We're thinking about other things or we're trying to force it too much. Really try to experience it almost as an observer and not that you're trying to force something to happen, not like the action taker. Like you're kind of like a spectator, really. Mm-mm. So starting out, I would probably suggest, like there's some crazy, crazy tarot spreads out there. There's the Celtic cross and all these different types of spreads that can get very confusing and very overwhelming to somebody who's new to tarot. So maybe just pull one card at a time. What I really want you to focus in on is letting your doubt fade away if that's you know an issue for you like it is for me and you're overthinking just let that fade away and say I'm just going to experience this and so once my cards are chosen I just take some time to look at the cards see what I feel what thoughts come up I think before I was very quick to grab the little book that usually comes with a deck to tell me you know what it means but like I just kind of sit there and say like what's what's depicted like what is in this picture and what does that make me think of What's the first thing that I think of? And it can feel a little bit like association, but just go with it. And maybe keep a journal when you're doing this too. That's something else that I did when I first started was I kept a journal. 
I also noticed what cards came up for me a lot. I noticed that when I read from Mick, different cards came up. And if you kind of take the view that nothing is a coincidence, then it's like, oh, okay, my cards, what God has for me is for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And what's for Mick is for Mick or what's for someone else is for someone else. And just go on this journey of discovery in using this tool. So if I'm really stuck, if I'm feeling like, I don't know, I don't know if that was right. I don't know if I really feel solid in whatever I decided that these cards meant, then I will go to the book that came with the deck or I have a particular site that I really like. It's actually the site for my deck. And what's interesting, funny, there is no coincidence, remember, is that I'm usually dead hot. <laughs> I'm usually just about just about right. And so I think not only is it a good tool to use for divination, I think it's also a really good tool to build up your intuition and build up that trust in your intuition that your body is going to tell you exactly what you need to know and that you can like really come back to that place. Because I think it also makes you a lot more confident and a lot more self-assured in yourself that you're making the right decisions, if that makes sense. So yeah, that's that's how I would recommend getting started to read tarot. And then from there, you know, as you get your reps up, you can, you know, start branching out, looking at different spreads and and seeing how you feel about those. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about quote unquote bad cards and reversals, which are when you pull a card and it's upside down. So let's say you're pulling cards and you get the nine of pentacles. And you're like, oh, I'm about to get some money. But wait, it's reversed. It's upside down. So what does that mean? Are you broke now? Nah, don't freak out. You could just decide reverse cards mean nothing to you. And, you know, your spirit guides and higher self will adjust accordingly. Or you can use them to add additional depth and context to the reading that you're having. One thing I want to add on that about your spirit guides and your higher self adjusting accordingly. Remember, divination is to help you get messages from the divine. And so basically, you're using it as like a middle ground language, so to speak, so you can receive it. And so basically, you set the dictionary. Yeah. You say like, well, reverse cards don't mean nothing to me. So whatever y'all got (laughs) to show me figure it out and they're higher beings and so they will yeah and so they will they will adjust if you decide like a feather on the ground means i need to get more rest you know set that intention and if you like me they'll probably give you a lot of feathers no i don't know we might have talked about spiritual dictionaries a little bit in the melanie episode so if you want to go back to that episode and just think about that but just feeling, seeing how you feel when you see signs or you see symbols, the same principle adds, it goes to tarot. So I think sometimes people think there's a right or a wrong way to read tarot. And it's really how you set the rules. This is kind of a framework that you can kind of use. Some people just ignore, if a card comes up reverse, they just turn it around and they say, okay, <laughs> this is a card. Yeah. But some people, I use reverse cards and I use it to add additional context to whatever it means. So your cards reverse. Look at what the imagery shows you when it's upside down. Did you have a card where your cup was being filled? If it's right side up and now that it's upside down, it's being emptied out. If it's about finances, are you are you watching your coins? 
Maybe you're overspending. If it's about love or a relationship, are you investing into something that's not being reciprocated? You may also look at these and question, where are you putting your energy? Are you investing enough or too much? Do you need to look more within? It might also be a symbol of like lack of self-care. You know, you can't pour from an empty cup is what they always say. Are you pouring into yourself at all? So it doesn't always have to be like doom and gloom. Like you about to be broke, girl. That's what this card is telling me. That might not be what it is. It's probably, and someone tells you, oh, this card is actually about love and relationships. And I think you might be pouring into a relationship and you're not, it's not really a two-way street, a relationship or a friendship. And you're just like, yeah, I already knew that. You probably already knew that. Mm -hmm. On that note, we want to specifically talk about two bad cards. You know, they get a bad rap. And that is death and the devil. These show up a lot in horror movies and whatnot. So death in actuality can be really beautiful when you see it in a reading. It can mean that you're stripping the things that are no longer serving you. It can be sudden and unexpected change where you feel that you have no control. Now, that can be scary and painful, but it can also be necessary to usher in new life and renewal and opportunity. They always talk about in manifestation how you have to let go of old to welcome in and manifest the new. So seeing death could be part of that process for you. In reverse, the death card still means that you're on the brink of transformation, but maybe you're resisting it or you're trying to go through it privately. Again, try to let go of control and see what waits for you on the other side. Would it be toxic positivity to say that the death card is the embodiment of everything happens for a reason? (laughs) <laughs> and we're back here again aren't we? i mean i think you're acknowledging the pain of change though yeah so you're not smoothing over that yeah but it is a little bit like you'll see when you're on the other side yeah. <laughs> moving on to the devil card dum 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 i think that's also a reason why tarot itself gets the bad rap because it's like what kind of holy divination tool is this with the devil in it mm-hmm. I don't want that in my house. (laughs) I think this one makes people think demons are coming after them, but it's actually a representation of your shadow self. Mm. So are you struggling with vices like addiction? Make sure that you're not putting short-term gratification as a priority over your long-term well-being. It can also mean expressing your sexuality, but, you know, we don't kink shame. (laughs) We're very sex positive on shockers and shotguns, but make sure that it's in a healthy and positive consensual way Mm -hmm. and you know even inherent into a conversation about sexuality like hidden desires you know something we talked about in shadow work hidden desires your sexuality might also be something that you're hiding feeling guilt and shame around that so that's something for you to unpack on your own time reversed the devil card can mean that you're hiding your shadow self from others maybe you need to do some shadow work before you get to the next level in life Maybe you're in the thick of your shadow work and this card encourages you to be vulnerable with someone that you trust. All right. So we wanted to leave off with some of the cool decks that we've seen out there. You know, the traditional writer weight tarot deck that you see, it's, you know, lacking in diversity a little bit. You know, we like to be very uh, diverse when it comes to our perspective on on spirituality and Want to make sure everyone's represented. So there are some really cool art that's been done for people of color 
and some non-binary depictions in the artwork on some of these decks. So we just wanted to highlight a couple of those. Yeah. And on the non-binary piece, you know, in the court cards, you'll see like king and queen is for like masculine, feminine energy. You'll see in the major arcana, like the emperor and the empress and the high priestess. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see male and female depicted in certain things. And so some of the nine binary decks are really cool because it kind of takes you out of that. And it doesn't necessarily mean like a man or a woman. Maybe it's also challenging us to think about how we think about masculine and feminine energy and what that really means. Mm-hmm. So that's just an aside. My very first deck was Everyday Tarot. It's done in purple and gold. So it's colorblind, kind of. I mean, like, the you know, you don't really see features. I like it because I don't really feel like I'm using, like, the white man's tool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I you just... There's a book I'm supposed to read, and this is, like, another mention of it, but Know Thyself is a book that Mick has been asking me to read for two years. And it's just about how we take in information spiritually and what it looks like. If it doesn't look like me, can that breed self-hate? Mm-hmm. And is that perpetuating racism, patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera? But I digress. Mick also found me a really cool Afro-Brazilian deck. However, love you, babe. It came with Russian on it. I don't know what Afro-Brazilians in Russia needed a tarot deck, but there was a market for that, I guess. And so, and some of the de- the depictions were different from what I had gotten used to seeing. And so I think I need to just spend more time with it. So I haven't really used it a lot. Yeah, I also found a deck when I was out shopping. It's called the Melanated Tarot. So they basically describe it as the traditional rider weight deck, but the depictions are black people. So give that a shot. I've also seen Modern Witch Tarot on Amazon, and that one looks pretty cool. One thing that I would suggest is that whenever you do get a new deck, spend time with it. Put the cards in order, you know, the whole fool's journey, kind of walk yourself through the journey, like looking at the cards, look through each card in each suit in order get to know like those depictions and how they make you feel and what they're trying to tell you because that makes it easier when you're actually working with the cards and I think that's one big miss that I did on this on that deck that Mick bought me is that I never really like sat down with it and did that exercise but I had done it with my cards that I got earlier so yeah, that's that's the tarot, the evolution from this card game, and them calling it foolish. And I think that the branding of tarot is that if you do want to learn it, it's hard and and it's a lot of cards. But just remember that it's just another tool. Like I had a reading not that long ago, and the woman was using tarot cards she was using playing cards too like regular playing cards and that's how she divine messages I Ching is throwing sticks like sometimes you can use coins but it's just like different using different things to discern something is basically the foundation of what that is yeah just to build on that there's also cards out there called oracle cards that you'll see on the market Mm -hmm. and i really like those i've actually been given a couple of decks as gifts so i have like an angel card oracle deck i have a earth warrior oracle deck and then the most recent one that i was given is around like different deities and gods and goddesses and so it doesn't require as much knowledge and like understanding of like you know major and minor arcana or anything like that like it's Mm. literally just like 
pictures of different angels. And the book that comes with it, it has like, you know, some interpretations that you can use. I was instructed to just kind of throw the book away and focus on what your intuition is telling you when you pull a specific card and what the artwork is communicating with you. And again, kind of using your own spiritual dictionary to kind of, you know, interpret those messages. So those are the cards I've mostly been focused on while Jen has been more focused on the tarot. So if tarot is too complicated for you, if you don't want to like spend the time to like really, you know, learn what different things mean, you can pick up an Oracle card deck as mm-hmm. well. So I like the angel card decks because they just tell you what it means on the card. <laughs> And you can, you know, look at the look at the picture and see what else you feel, but it's, you ain't got to look at that. It's very easy. If maybe you don't want to read tarot, but you're interested in getting a reading, I would definitely recommend checking out Clubhouse because people give readings on there all the time. I will drop one or two of the clubs that I used to pop into from time to time. And usually they'll take like a love offering. Mm-hmm. You know, you can cash up them like $5, $10, yeah. whatever's on your heart. And they will do a reading for you on Clubhouse, like easy peasy. To build on that, there's even rooms where if you want to read for other people, it's like a practice room. Like, you know, you just go in there if you're new to, to like doing tarot readings and you want to get better at it. Like people will just pop in and you can just try it out, you know, see if what you're getting is similar to what other folks are getting. and kind of see what resonates with folks so is that a message for me do i need to get in the rooms i mean you can take it as a message what does your spiritual dictionary say my spiritual dictionary <laughs> say it's time to wrap up the episode <laughs> all right so <laughs> as always guys if you have a question for us please email us at chakras and shotguns at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram youtube facebook all that good stuff tiktok as well If you'd like to join our Chakras and Shotguns community, you can support us on Patreon. We really appreciate all our patrons, you know, helping us to pay the podcast bills. And finally, if you're loving the show, please subscribe and give us five stars wherever you listen. Namaste. Namaste.